0: We're going to read two passages of Scripture this evening. The first is, of course, in Ephesians 4. We'll again read, beginning with verse 17, which includes our text, which is verses 26 and 27. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another, Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Next we're going to turn to Psalm 4. Psalm 4. The reason we're reading is that this is the Apostle alludes to this psalm in our text. But it's not apparent to you because you can't see it in the English. If you look at the Greek that the Apostle speaks in our text and you look at the Greek version of Psalm 4, Psalm 4 was written in Hebrews, but there's a Greek version called the Septuagint, those same exact words show up in this Psalm, verse 4, only they're interpreted different. In Psalm 4, verse 4, we have, stand in awe and sin not. Now the Apostle is alluding to this verse. He's not quoting it but he is deriving what he has to say from it I'll explain more but the context of Psalm 4 shows that the Apostle is speaking about anger righteous anger and not sinning in anger with more than just relationships our text is gonna focus on relationships but it also has to do with anger over circumstances and even anger at god this is a psalm that david wrote at a time of great distress let's read it hear me when i call o god of my righteousness thou hast enlarged me when i was in distress have mercy upon me and hear my prayer o ye sons of men how long Will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, Who will show us any good, Lord? Lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety we're going to consider verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians 4 be angry and sin not let not the sun go down upon your wrath neither give place to the devil couple of things by way of introduction here and the first is that the Holy Spirit now is being specific the Holy Spirit being the perfect teacher and instructor is not content simply with general admonition. He did give general admonition. That's how this section begins. The general admonition is put off the old man, put on the new. And we learned when we considered that, that that's the same thing as the Apostle talks about in the book of Romans as mortifying your sinful flesh. Or what the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 33 calls, the two parts of conversion. And we know that to be that the child of God negatively sorrows over their sin and flees from it and positively wills and desires to live in joy according to all the commandments of God. And you'll notice that the catechism isn't content on being general either, but immediately following that Lord's Day is the exposition of the Ten Commandments. The idea is the Ten Commandments set forth what a life of conversion looks like. A sorrow over the sin that is identified in the Ten Commandments and a will and desire to live according to those ten commandments well the same thing is found here in Ephesians 4 the Apostle says put off the old put on the new and now what does that look like what does it mean and everything that follows after is exactly that if you look very carefully you'll notice that each of them comes in a negative and a positive sometimes it's a little difficult for us to put them together but all of them have a negative and a positive. Just like the first one, put away lying and speak the truth. Put off the old man. What's that? Put off lying. Put on the new man. What's that? Speak the truth. And so also in our text, we have a negative and a positive. Go to verse 28, another negative and a positive. Stop stealing. Let him that stole steal no more. Stop it. That's to put off the old man. And now what? What's the new man putting him on? Well, let him labor with his hands. Work with your hands the thing that is good so you can give to the poor. And that's the pattern that's followed through the remainder. That's important because, as something we noted this morning, those always go together. You cannot put off the old man without putting on the new, and you cannot put on the new without putting off the old. They, they always go together. You cannot work with your hands the thing that was is good unless you stop stealing and if you stop stealing, if you want to keep from stop stealing, then you need to be busy with your hands. you need to do something with them, otherwise pretty soon you'll be stealing again that's the holy spirit's instruction now we're not going to obviously cover all these verses in our series here on ephesians we've already just skipped verse twenty five and There's a reason for that, number one, because we will be considering them in the Ten Commandments. We'll soon be talking about the Ninth Commandment, so there's no need to cover it here again. We just covered the material of verse 28 under the Eighth Commandment this morning. It's basically the same instruction. It follows the same pattern, a negative and a positive, an inward and an outward. So that's instructive. But we're going to concentrate on a couple of things, and that is, first of all, this particular injunction in verses 26 and 27, because it references the devil, it brings the devil into it, and that's instructive. And then later on, we're going to look at grieving the Holy Spirit, there the Holy Spirit is brought into it that putting off the old man putting on the new has something to do with the Holy Spirit even as it has something to do with the devil. those are worth taking note of and we're going to do that also we're going to talk about in particular those sins that perhaps we don't think are such a threat so what if we're angry and we sin a little bit so what what's what's the big deal or later on when the apostle talks about putting away wrath really the same thing but he adds to it he expands on this particular verse that we're going to consider and that's why we're going to be somewhat sparse on what anger and wrath really is because he adds bitterness and anger and clamor and evil speaking those those all go together and they're all sins that we tend to minimize but the Apostle by reverencing the devil and the Holy Spirit shows the seriousness of them and adds to the urgency of putting on the old and putting on the new. So consider with me this, this, this evening putting away sinful anger. And we're putting it that way because that's the idea of this whole section. Even as later on in verse 31 he says, put away anger, put away evil speaking. The idea here of this text is, well, put away anger sinful anger put away sinful anger and we're going to notice the anger first the possibility and then finally the importance of this injunction from the Holy Spirit now the very first thing that we have to recognize and it's an amazing amazing thing again how the Holy Spirit is so careful and he doesn't speak like we do and why we believe that every word of the scriptures is inspired and every word has meaning and the way everything is put is put deliberately the Apostle here in saying this is a form of putting off the old man and putting on the new does not say don't be angry that's not what it says this is not an injunction that absolutely forbids anger that says to the Christian now if you're going to put off the old man you need to put off all anger now later on he's going to put it that way He's going to come along and say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away. That seems to be absolute. Already in this verse, He says, no, there's an important qualification here that has to be understood. So that even when you get to verse 31, you realize when He says, put away all wrath and anger, He's talking about a certain kind of wrath and a certain kind of anger that is one namely that is sinful. Anger and wrath that's filled with bitterness, or that results in clamor or evil speaking, that kind of wrath or anger. And so it's put the way it is in this verse, which is, be angry. This is actually an injunction, a commandment that says, be angry, be angry, but sin not so we need to consider that even when we look at putting away sinful anger we have to understand there's actually here a commandment to be angry why is that well remember what the old man and the new man represent what they are and putting on the new man is when we live in our being in our whole being, in our nature, according to the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, according to His Spirit. When the Spirit of Christ is what animates us in all of our thinking, willing, and doing. That's the new man. Well, if that's true, then that means our behavior, our thinking, our willing, and our doing has to mirror that of God. And God gets angry. Make no mistake, God gets very angry. It's not only the case that it's permissible to be angry, but God actually requires anger because He Himself gets angry at certain things and at certain situations. And not only that, but we ought to recognize that God also gets angry at persons, Anybody that says, well, God only gets angry at situations, God only gets angry at sin in general, doesn't understand that such is God's anger over sin that He destroys persons who commit it. Hell will not be full of sin. God will not simply destroy sin off the earth, but He will destroy sinners. Yes. God is a God who gets angry. And what is His anger? Well, generally, His anger is an aspect of God's righteousness and His holiness. Those have to do with the purity of God, that in God there is no sin. And not only that, but He will not and cannot be corrupted with sin. And the Scriptures present God's holiness and purity as light, as goodness, and a brilliant light and goodness, so bright and brilliant that one picture of it is like the sun. God is a burning, burning fire. And the idea is that anything sinful... Anything ungodly, anything that's impure, even comes near him, it's consumed, it's gone, it vanishes. And the Bible captures that as anger, which is why we speak of hot anger, red hot fury. We associate anger and we associate wrath with heat and burning up and consumption There's a reason for that because it describes who and what God is. And this is what God is. The idea with God is that it's not even a conscious act on His part. It is conscious. Make no mistake. But I'm trying to relate it to us. Where we have to think about something. We have to go through a process. And we have to say, oh, that's sinful. That's wrong. I have to get angry about that. No, with God... It's who he is it's what he is this is his very nature God would not be God if he wasn't that way and this is all things that the cross of Jesus Christ teaches us those Christians and those so-called members of the church who claim to love God and extol all the virtues of God uh, who show by having no anger like God towards sin show they understand nothing about really the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's the issue here. God is angry. And of course, the Bible teaches us too, using different words, that God's anger can take different forms. And behind His anger can be different attitudes. And here too, we understand that. We can be angry about something. And that anger will take different forms depending on what the object of our anger is. It's not all expressed the same way. Also, also, there is a reflection of us from God that this anger can have different motives behind it. So also with God. There's no one word that really captures these distinctions and these differences in form. Some have tried to do that by making a distinction between anger and wrath, but one must be careful. Wrath is a word indeed that we generally associate with what is forbidden here in the text. Sinful anger. Sinful anger. That is a word that is more associated with wrath, but be careful there because God is filled with wrath and he's not filled with sin but wrath is a word especially that is related to sin that has to do with an anger over sin but the point of the matter is that God is angry with different things for different reasons and in different ways there is his anger his wrath against the ungodly reprobate and wicked whom He will destroy on account of their sin. And just to show how different God is, the Scriptures make clear that we will truly not understand that or get a sense of how furious and intense and red-hot God's anger is until we see hell. Something to keep in mind. But God is angry with us. The Bible makes that very, very clear. God even has wrath for us, a certain kind. But now it too takes a different form. Where did God express His wrath and anger against us and our sin? And the answer is, look at the cross. There's the form of it. Oh, it was an anger, make no mistake, God in His righteous indignation and wrath poured it out upon Christ, the result being He killed His own Son. And exactly because of that now, His anger and wrath takes a different form with us. It is not the killing wrath. It is not the kind of vengeful wrath, the punishing wrath toward the ungodly. Oh, it's there. The same attitude. God hasn't changed His attitude with sin. That's a great mistake the church can make. Oh, God paid for our sins. Now His attitude towards sin's changed. No, that would be a change in God. God can't change. He still is angry. He still is filled with wrath over our sin. But exactly because He poured it out on Christ, it takes a different form. Behind it stands now the grace of God. Different motive you see, a desire to correct to chastise, we call it, and again, there's no one or two words that expresses these things, so be careful with that. We often make a difference between punishment and chastisement, but the Bible does apply both words to us, but the main point is that God does not exact what we deserve anymore for any of our sins. Anything that God does for us, even in His anger, is not intended to exact atonement, to make us pay for what we did. Instead it is intended to correct us and change us. Now exactly because of who God and what God is, the injunction here is, be angry. And the idea is be angry with the same kind of anger as God. That is, a righteous anger. And that's what we need to examine first of all. Because there's a failure here. The main thing we consider tonight, make no mistake, is and sin not part. All the rest of the text has to do with that. But we may not look, overlook the be angry part. Because just like as we're going to see with the and sin not part, which if we do not, if we ignore that, if we minimize that, it will destroy and has destroyed churches and families and marriages and homes. So also not being angry has done that. There is right now entire denominations that have been destroyed and are being destroyed right now, Because no one gets angry. Anger is seen as a negative virtue, a bad one. And no one in the pew gets angry. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows the members of the church are sinning. Sinning terribly against God. There's adultery going on. There's shady business deals going on. There's violation of the Sabbath going on. But no one gets angry about it. They just look the other way or if someone does get angry enough perhaps to try to deal with it perhaps even bring it to the elders the elders do all that they can to smooth things over and make it disappear there's been marriages and families and homes destroyed because husbands and wives and parents never got angry over what's going on parents never got angry over the Denial of authority over the talk back of a child, either against them or a parent. Never got angry about that. Never got angry when it morphed into a denial of all kinds of authority. Never got angry when a child came home with someone whom they ought not date. Never got angry when their child was arrested for a DUI. Parents never, or children, never got angry righteously angry when their parents misbehaved and tried to get help perhaps no one got angry when there was bullying going on in the school or blasphemy of God's name on the playground And the point is if no one gets angry that church that school that family that marriage that home will be destroyed Destroyed just as much as if someone is angry and they sin Not being angry Exposes someone Who doesn't have the new man? The new man is the new man of Christ it is the new man That is moved and motivated by the spirit of Jesus Christ and if you don't think that Jesus or God gets angry over His name and over His righteousness, then you know nothing about that God. And you know nothing about the new man, let alone put him on. So if one is to put on the new man, it does involve becoming angry. Angry over God's name, angry over God's righteousness, anger over sin, and especially now, anger over one's own sin. It is remarkable that John Calvin, when he looks at this passage, zeroes in. He hones in on that. He makes a point of it, even though that's really not the point of the passage. This passage is about being angry at others, it's primarily aimed at that. But he notices that oftentimes our biggest problem is that we're not angry at ourselves. The reason we can't be angry at others is usually because we know we're guilty of the same sins. How in the world can we be angry at wholesale violation of the Sabbath day that's going on in our church when we ourselves are busy violating the Sabbath day? How in the world can we be angry about fornication and adultery that's going on rather openly in the church when we ourselves are guilty of it? You see, we have to be angry with ourselves, angry with our own sin. You would find out that just as it would be the case in the church among elders or members with regard to sin, if that was our attitude with our sin, if it made us angry, righteously, furiously angry when we sinned, there would be much more progress with regard to putting on the old man or putting on the new man and putting off the old. So let's keep that in mind. But the focus now is upon A certain kind of anger, a certain kind of spiritual anger, which is sinful anger. That's the focus of the passage. But sin not. And here we have to recognize why this is brought up. And it has to do with anger. And it has to do with us. The reason that this injunction is here is because the Apostle knows us. And he knows we do get angry. You you don't have to tell us much about getting angry. We get angry quite easily. We get angry about all kinds of things. So the real issue is not sinning in our anger. Sinful anger. Unrighteous anger which is why the focus on being angry at ourselves isn't quite to the point. Although I will add, there is such a thing as sinful anger with regard to one's sin, too. Rightly, we should be very angry at ourselves over our sin. But it does happen in the church where that, too, crosses the boundaries. It crosses the boundary, perhaps, into despair, That someone is so angry with themselves, they cannot see God's grace. They've forgotten the cross of Jesus Christ. They're suicidal or depressed in their thoughts. That is a sinful anger. We might also point out, which is something the Apostle has to have in mind when he alludes to Psalm 4. And here I think John Calvin is right once again. The Apostle is not quoting Psalm 4 he's alluding to it and that's clear because he changes the last part of Psalm 4 verse 4 which it speaks about going to sleep peacefully in one's bed and the Apostle flips that and turns it and talks about not letting the sun go down upon your wrath so he's changing it under the inspiration of Scripture but nevertheless he alludes to it why and the answer is because Psalm 4 verse 4 has to do with two kinds of anger two kinds of anger that the psalmist is writing about and the translators see it which is why they put it stand in awe and sin not they put it that way because they see that what the psalmist is talking about is anger at God that too would be sinful anger now the psalms are full of questioning of God the psalms are full of please being brought to God. That's found really even in Psalm 4 when the psalmist cries out, Why, how long, ye bloody men, are you going to keep doing this? That's the psalmist's way of saying, how long, God, are you going to let this keep going on? But sin not. So Psalm 4, verse 4 is about an attitude toward God that there ought to be a certain passion a certain even anger you might say that arises when we understand that God is sovereign God is King God is Lord I'll call it passion passion about one's circumstances understanding going to God exactly because God is the one who made us sick God is the one who put us in the car accident God is the one who is in charge here If men are abusing us, if people are calling us names, God is in charge. Now how are you going to deal with that? Sin not. So there too, we need to keep in mind how easy it is for us to have our passion with regard to God. Even pointed questions that we can direct to God, some very powerful ones may not cross the line into bitterness and clamor and a sinful anger. But this is about relationships. It's mainly about one another. And the apostle is teaching us something that we know all too well, which is how easy it is to have righteous anger turn to sinful anger. That's what he's talking about. And we know that by experience. How often is it the case that we've become angry over a situation, angry even with someone, and rightly angry because of what they did? And what was done. Perhaps it was even done to us, but that's not necessarily the case. We're angry, and righteously and rightly so. Rightly and righteously angry because of the shame it's brought upon the family name, or upon God's name even more importantly, or upon the church, angry more importantly, and especially because God's righteousness was violated. Someone thumbed their nose at God. But how easily and quickly has that turned to unrighteous anger, sinful anger, and that can happen with regard to others, with regard to ourselves. And what are we referring to as sinful anger? Well, notice that's not identified, is it? It says almost that the Spirit says, You know when it is. Now, I put a quote in the bulletin of John Kelvin where he identifies three different kinds of sinful anger that are good rules of thumb, good things to think about. One is he, he regards a sinful anger when we're angry because of personal slights, things that were done to our person or even privately. He censures even those things where someone might say, you have a right to be angry. John Calvin would say, no, uh, uh-uh, that's sinful. If you look deep in your heart and soul and ask yourself, why are you angry? And the answer is, because it was done to me. It has no reference to God whatsoever. And that's important. Any anger that really does not have any reference to God is sinful anger. So, for example, if you chastise or lay some discipline upon your child, and it arises out of a anger, beware of how quickly it either turns to sinful anger or was never righteous in the first place. When you find yourself disciplining because of some slight that was caused to you, you were embarrassed in the supermarket by your child or the child spilt the milk and made you more work and you're angry. Is it righteous? Anger. And that really is the good rule of thumb John Calvin also mentions what he calls intemperate anger that is anger that's uncontrolled anger that takes a form that's not suitable for the circumstances in other words even like God yes we should be angry and angry over anything really that's wrong and sinful but it has to be appropriate to the circumstances even God deals with us his people that way you don't deal with your child one particular way for spilling the milk maybe spilling the milk something has to be done to learn a lesson about not being careless but does it have to be this or is your administration of this discipline simply unrighteous anger how quickly Anger against one another becomes unrighteous. And that, the Apostle is saying, may not be. Anger must be motivated out of love for God and real, true love for the neighbor. Of course, our problem is that we know these things. I don't think I'm telling you anything new here, nor is the Apostle, but it must be told and said because... Our great problem is, we like to call everything righteous, don't we? Well, of course, this is righteous anger. Everybody says that when they're angry in the church. I'm righteously indignant. Oh, really? Examine yourself in that regard. Now, here's a good test. Here's a good test. The apostle adds, let not the sun go down upon your wrath let not the Sun go down upon your wrath what he's doing there is giving us a test a test with regard to righteous anger or sinful anger you will often find that righteous anger you have no problem dealing with that before the Sun goes down in fact sometimes the real problem is we are too hasty to deal with our righteous anger but unrighteous anger why we'll let many sons go down upon that so you must see that as a partial test but one may do that in his own soul it is good for us frequently and often to examine our anger to examine our anger after the fact to examine our anger even in that day when we've been angry at a child or a spouse when we've been angry at a church member when we've been angry as an elder to a member in the church and ask in the depths of our soul was this sinful or was it truly righteous was it truly about God and love for God and for his name now the next thing we need to consider is the possibility And this needs to be brought up because the Apostle is aware that we are dealing with something that might seem impossible. And if you think it's possible, then you really don't really understand how easy it is to become sinfully angry. Perhaps it's an indicator that you yourself have been overtaken by sinful anger so many times you don't even recognize it. There's people like that. Ask anybody about them, what their besetting sin is, and they'll tell you it's sinful anger. Becoming angry over nothing. Inordinate anger. Anger that does not fit the description. Anger that isn't about God. It's about one's own personal self. But the person themselves will not recognize it because they've been living in it for so long. But we do have the same problem. Perhaps we think it's well, that's not possible. Here's a good point to show that the Holy Spirit is teaching us what is indeed possible for the child of God. Here is where the rubber meets the road. Here is where the specifics of the generality put off the old man and put on the new come to bear. One has to ask himself whether that's possible or impossible. Is the Apostle also putting forth something here only generally so that it's up to us to determine what it means to put off and to put on? And the answer is no. He's saying this is exactly what it means to put off and to put on. This is exactly what the old man and the new man are all about. Righteous anger or unrighteous and sinful anger. But don't forget, in doing that, the Apostle is teaching us that this is indeed a reality in the life of the child of God. If, in fact, one has faith, if, in fact, one is a member of Christ by faith, if, in fact, one believes that Jesus Christ has forgiven their sins, the point is that they have the Holy Spirit residing in them. And if they do, then they put on the new man, don't they? and consequently must put off the old. So right here, it's worth pointing that out. That this is a real thing, a real possibility. And I point it out because it takes away the excuses. Perhaps when anger is our besetting sin, well, I can't. I'm not able. Okay, maybe I can most of the time, but I'm excused here with my anger toward this person, or my indignation over that situation. That's excused. That's off the table. Don't talk about it. That's not true. So how does a child of God do this? Well, first of all, keep in mind, they do it by the Spirit of Jesus Christ alone. There's nothing in their old man. There's nothing in their human nature that makes this possible. It alone has to do with the new man. And let's now consider what we are taught in Scripture about the new man. Who's in charge? Who's on the throne? Who's victorious? Who is King and Lord? And the answer is Jesus Christ. He has the victory. He is the one who rules. He is the one, therefore, that has power over the old man. And that's the child of God. The old man lives. The old man is put to death. That's the Heidelberg Catechism. Secondly, this is done by an individual knowing consciously and experientially the long-suffering and slowness of God's own anger with regard to us. Ask yourself, how is this possible? What makes this possible? How in the world can somebody ever be angry and sin not? And the answer is, well, one who knows God's own anger and the slowness of that anger, and the patience of God, and the long-suffering of God, and that anger toward us, can and will. Half the problem, when we let unrighteous, sinful anger rule our lives and tolerate the destruction that follows, is we are not overtaken. It does not live in our soul consciously and experientially that God... God controls His anger toward us. God is not intemperate in His anger. Oh yes, God took our sin seriously and dealt with it. But even there, He laid the anger of all of my sins and all of your sins and all of the sins of all the believers all at once on one person, His own Son, and dealt with it as it were in one moment. And then, how does God deal with you and with me? When you sin tomorrow, is God going to break out in an uncontrolled fury against you? Or will God deal patiently and gently and kindly again and again and again with you? And the answer, of course, is the latter. Child of God, is able to do this when he knows consciously and by faith, that is experientially, the destruction and the injury that it causes to others, especially in the church. A true child of God, who understands who his children are, who his spouse is, and who the other members are, namely that they all belong to Jesus Christ. They are all part of His body. Cannot live an in intemperate. Fury and anger, that is sinful anger against his brother or sister in the church. And when one recognizes that, when one sees that, that is the tempering then too of that anger. Big difference between the father who as he's about to discipline his child or even when his child spills milk when he looks across the table at that child and sees a child who belongs to Jesus Christ not himself he's just there to take care of the child for a while and you will find sinful anger abates or if there is sinful anger that father will find himself on his knees in prayer that's the possibility you see that that's not an abstraction that's that's a reality. Let's, let's call it that, a reality. This is how God works. The putting on of the new man and the putting off of the old in His children. He gives them faith, and by faith, He gives them the Spirit, and by that Spirit, they know these things, they experience these things, and it affects their behavior. There's also a concrete means. That's brought out right in the passage. That is, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Here the Holy Spirit comes to us with a specific and strict command and says, all right, you sinned in your anger. All right. Now, here's what you do about it. Don't let the day end without dealing with it. Don't let it end. Well, there's only two ways for that to happen. One is, you make the sun stand still so the day don't end. Well, you don't have that power. So that means you have to deal with the sin. You have to get rid of the wrath. And notice that. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath means get rid of it. Put it away. Put it down. Deal with it. How do you do that? Well, number one, confessing it. Confessing it to the person. If you indulge in anger publicly before them and to their face, call them up. Go to see them. If it's your spouse, turn to them and say, I was angry, and my anger was not righteous. It was sinful, and I'm sorry. But more importantly, confess that to God. And by the way, confessing it simply to God, but not confessing it to the person who knows full well your anger was sinful, isn't dealing with it. Then the sun still has set upon that wrath. Also, Deal with it in this way. Praying to the Lord for the grace of the Holy Spirit to overcome that sinful anger. Lord, this is my besetting sin. Lord, how easily I fall into this sin. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. Without Thy grace, without Thy power, without Thy love in my heart. That's how you deal with it. Yet that day, the same day. And this is important. Very important. I can assure you that there are entire churches that have been destroyed, been rent by schism and division because members were sinfully angry at one another and let the sun go down upon that wrath. Marriages. There's husbands and wives who have disregarded this wisdom of the Holy Spirit Who went to bed angry at the other, sinfully angry. And they woke up in the morning and they found the anger had intensified. It had gotten worse. The rift deepened and it widened. Then they let the sun go down upon their wrath another day and another day and another day until that marriage is irreparable. If you'd ask them what happened, they would shrug their heads, I don't know, I just don't love my husband or my wife anymore. But what really happened was one day they went to bed angry at each other. That's all that happened. There's been homes, been destroyed the same way. A father or a mother got angry upon their child, and they knew it was sinful anger, and they never dealt with it that day, that same day lastly the importance I bring this up exactly because of that very few of us actually do this and when we do it finally much damage has been caused so we need to talk about the importance what's the importance well certainly this in the first place it's all related to the context what's the importance of this well it's part of belonging to Jesus Christ it's part of maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How can you maintain the Spirit of the unity in the bond of peace if one cannot control his anger? And his anger is sinful with the other members. The church will be destroyed. It will be destroyed with schism, rent with division. It's a necessary part of putting off the old man and putting on the new. How in the world can you put off the old man and put on the new? Everybody talks that way. Oh, We've got to put off the old, put on the new. Lord's Day 33, that's good reform language, conversion, daily conversion. How often do we really relate that with being angry and sinning not? And the apostles coming along and saying, it's impossible to put off the old and put on the new without dealing with this. It's part of it. It's part of becoming a mature Christian. It's a part of not walking as the other Gentiles walk. It's that simple one cannot claim to be a christian one cannot be to be claimed to be a saved gentile one cannot claim to be putting off the old and putting on the new without doing this it's part of it but even more than that and this explains the destruction this explains the result this explains why i can say confidently that where this is not done a church a home a marriage will be destroyed positively why The apostle says, because that gives place to the devil. That's why he adds that. Neither give place to the devil. What he's talking about. He's saying, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, because if you don't do that, you give place to the devil. Notice that. The devil doesn't have a place in your heart. There's no place for him. He's been expelled from heaven. He's been expelled from your heart. He doesn't have a place in the church. He doesn't belong here. He has no right to be here. He has no place in your marriage. He has no place in your home. But you can give Him one. How do you do that? Just by getting angry and sinning in that anger. That's simple. As soon as you're angry and you're sinful, you've allowed the devil a place in your heart. You've allowed the devil a place in your home. You've allowed the devil a place at your table. You've allowed the devil a place in your bed. You've allowed the devil a place on your playground and in your school. That's what the apostle is saying, and we need to take him seriously on that. If you want to know why marriages and homes, why families and schools and churches have been destroyed by sinful anger, the answer is this. They gave place to the devil. Just gave him a place, and you know who he is. What does the Bible say about the devil? He walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Would you allow a roaring lion into your house? Well, then be angry and sin not. And let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, O Lord, our God, we thank Thee for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has not only paid for all our sinful anger, but given us His Spirit that we might live in patience and long suffering one toward another. Keep the devil out of our homes and marriages. Keep him out of our church. Keep him out of our relationships by helping us, Father, to put off the old man and to put on that new man, that new man of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.